So today, believe it or not, is a holiday. Now, we don't really observe this holiday in our culture today, in our society today, but once in the history of the Christian church, this was the second most celebrated holiday behind Easter. In fact, in the early days, those of you that have paid attention to me over the years uh, will uh, remember that they didn't even celebrate Christmas. Christmas really wasn't celebrated until about the fourth century. Uh, they didn't really consider celebrating birthdays a significant thing, uh, but that, uh, that changed. And so perhaps today we would say that between Christmas and Easter, those are the two most celebrated holidays, uh, both in our culture and in church. But the second most celebrated or recognized holiday in the church, and holiday means holy day, is Pentecost. Say Pentecost. Pentecost. In the Old Testament, Pentecost, uh, Pentecost is the Greek for this. In the Old Testament, it was called the Feast of Weeks. And that's because it happened a week of weeks after Passover. You say, a week of weeks, what's that? It's seven sevens. So seven times seven is 49. And on the 50th day, they celebrated Pentecost. So today is the remembrance of that. But something very important happened beyond the, the Jewish festival of Pentecost, which uh, in Hebrew is called Shavuot. And it is still observed by the Jewish people today. Back then, it was a harvest festival. It was where they brought the first fruits of their barley harvest and recognized that it was God that gave them this harvest. So they would take the first of the barley, the grain that they uh, had uh, harvested, and they would bake bread and they would bring it to the temple and they would offer it to God and uh, they would express their thanks to him. Later, the Jews also recognized Pentecost as the day that the law was given to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, interpreters vary back and forth as to whether that was uh, something that was celebrated in Jesus' day, but something that is more important than all of that for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ is the fact that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended upon all believers. Now, I don't want you to get the impression that this was the first time the Holy Spirit showed up. The Holy Spirit has always been around. In fact, uh, you saw it in the video there. The scripture says in Genesis chapter one that the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and is this creative force of God that brought about what we see on the planet Earth. The Holy Spirit's always been around. The Holy Spirit has always descended upon, come upon, clothed God's prophets and kings and priests, but the Holy Spirit didn't come upon the common people, the everyday folks. And so when the day of Pentecost came, something that had been prophesied in Joel happened. It is something that is available to you today. And that is the Holy Spirit came to fill them up to overflow. He came to clothe them with power because those first disciples, were sent out into the world to be witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. But you know, as I indicated last week, for those of you that were watching or were here, they were afraid and justifiably so. Their, their master, the one who they had believed was the Christ, uh, was crucified, cruelly, cruelly executed by the Romans at the behest of their religious leaders. And they were scared the same thing could happen to them. In fact, as you read in Acts, you find out that there were a number of times when uh, the uh, apostles were arrested. Uh, for instance, Peter and John were arrested and thrown in jail and threatened. And, uh, you know, they faced the same fate as their master, as their Messiah. But the reality was the Holy Spirit gave them this power and this boldness so that everybody that listened 
listened to them, wondered who they were and how they got this knowledge and how they got this power because they weren't one of the chosen religious leaders. They were, they were those that Jesus had chosen and who had followed him and they were just common everyday people like all of us in this room like those of you that are watching. We're just common, everyday people. We're not anything special. Now, we're made special in Christ. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, you're, you're not special in your, in your own right, and of course you are. But I'm just saying the way culture or society designates people, you know, uh, you're not a congressman, you're not a president, uh, you're probably not the CEO of a corporation. Um, you know, God just calls everyday people. And that's a good thing, don't you think? I think that that's the best thing of all. So today, uh, the church celebrated this, and they, for many years, they called it Whit Sunday, and that comes from uh, this idea of the people wearing white because it it became a time in the church when they baptized many people. And so the baptismal candidates would all wear white robes. So the church started calling it Whit Sunday. So if you come from a liturgical church, for instance, the Catholic church, they will celebrate this as Whit Sunday, but it is Pentecost. So I'm going to read and, and just give some, some basic interpretation from Acts chapter two. And my hope is not to, uh, give some lengthy teaching today on Pentecost or the Holy Spirit, but my hope is to encourage you to be open to receive everything that the Lord has for you, all right? So uh, if you will, if you have a, a Bible, if you have a, um, an app on your phone or something like that, and you'd like to turn to the scripture, this is Acts chapter two from the English Standard Version. Let me pray before I read. Father, I pray that you will give understanding to your people, but more than that, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will descend, that you will anoint your people, that you will clothe them with power, that you will fill them up with your presence, not just so that they can feel better, but so that they can be everything that you have called and created them to be, so that we can be those witnesses. Although we haven't seen the resurrection of Jesus with our physical eyes, those of us who have come to Christ and called on his name in faith have experienced the resurrected Christ within us. And I pray that we are willing to testify to that reality. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will select your people, that you will elect your people, that you will send them out. And I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here it is. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Stop. They were all together in one place. They weren't separated in their individual homes. You're gathered here this morning for a reason. Amen? And suddenly there came from heaven, from the sky, from beyond them, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Now, this may have been a large house, or there are some interpreters that think that they may have actually been in the house of the Lord, the temple. And, it div and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. I want you to think of a campfire. Okay, can you think about how a fire goes up? Those little flames come up and they look like what? They could look like tongues, couldn't they? So this fire divides and those little tongues of flame land on the head of each person or above the head of each person. It rested on each one of them, verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, different tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So let's stop there for just a minute. Going all the way back, Luke wrote Acts. This is part two 
of the two-part work that he, uh, that he was inspired to write. And the first part is what? It's Luke. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and in Luke 3.16, Luke records John the Baptist as saying, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandal I am not even worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That word baptize gets misunderstood a whole lot. And it is because when the, the Greek word was brought over into English back in the early days of English being used, English usage, instead of translating it, they transliterated it. What does that mean? That means if they had translated it, they would have said dunked, dipped, immersed. That's what it means. It's the Greek word baptizo. But they created a word in English, baptize. And so we think of this ceremonial idea, but it was just a, a regular everyday word that they would have used uh, when a woman or a man was washing dishes and they dunked the dishes under the water. Uh, when a ship, there's a, a, a Greek um, uh, writing that indicates that a ship sunk and it says it was baptized, right? It was immersed in the water. Why am I saying that? Let's go back and read verse four again. With that in mind, I want you to understand what's happening here, right? Um, Jesus is going to immerse them in the Holy Spirit and with fire. So what happens in verse four? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Fire appeared over their heads. Here is being baptized with fire, being purified. So going all the way back to the Old Testament and Isaiah, uh, Isaiah sees the Lord. This is his call. Uh, this is Isaiah chapter six. And he said, oh, Lord, I, I, you know, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. I have seen the Lord. And the Lord sends an angel with uh, a coal, a hot coal from the altar of heaven to touch his tongue and purify him. These tongues of fire are purifying. You and I are not qualified to do the things that God has called us to do. But you know what? God qualifies the called. Amen. He doesn't call the qualified, he, call, he qualifies the called. All you have to do is respond to the call. All you have to do is be willing to be open to do and say whatever the Lord calls you to do and say. So here these people are. So being filled with the Spirit is the same as being baptized with the Spirit. Think about it. If you are a container and you're dipped under the water, what happens? The water fills the container, but what else happens? The water coats the container or covers the container on the outside. We need the Spirit on the inside. That's what I said a couple of weeks ago when I said, you need help. The Holy Spirit is called the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor, the guide. You need him every day. You need him inside of you. But in order to go out into the world and preach the gospel, and by the way, you might not be a preacher, but you're called to testify to the reality of Christ in your life as you go. That's what Jesus said. He said, as you go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's in water, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you, everything I have commanded you, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. That's the great commission. That's what Jesus has called all of us to do. So wherever you work, whatever you do, wherever you go, you're called to bear witness to Christ. The question is, are you doing that? You're called to be the salt of the earth. You're called to be the light of the world. Jesus said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a, a lamp and then put it under a basket, do you? 
When you light a lamp, you want it to be seen. Well, actually, you want to see other things from the lamp. So you set it up on a, on a table, on a desk, or you hang it overhead so that you can see. You are the reflection of Christ to the world. That's what you're called to do and what you're called to be. And if you're not doing that, and if you're not being that, that explains why you get caught up in all of these other ideas and movements and get distracted and get pushed off from the narrow path onto a bypath. This is what we're called to do as believers, but we're not doing this alone. Lo, I'm with, with you always to the end of the age. That's the Holy Spirit who is going to enter you, who is as you give control over your life, because this idea of filling is really a way of saying that the Spirit is, you give the Spirit control. He has control. A Spirit-filled person is a Spirit-controlled person, as opposed to what? As opposed to a fleshy person, as opposed to a person that is controlled by their, their nature, their, their fallen nature. And that is not what we are called to be. We are called to set our mind on the spirit, not set our mind on the flesh. The mindset on the flesh is death. Jesus uh, told us that the flesh profits nothing. The spirit gives life, but the flesh is unprofitable. It profits for nothing. And yet we find ourselves mired in our own nature and our own flesh and our own selfishness all of the time. But we're called to open ourselves up to confess our sins and to allow Christ's spirit, the Holy Spirit, to come in, to flood us and to push out all of that uncleanness, all of that ugliness, all of that immorality, all of that, that divided mind and, and perversity that, that really filters into all of our lives as the result of the countless messages that we're exposed to in our society that are not Christ-oriented. Verse five, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, remember, it, was, it sounded like a mighty rushing wind, like a violent wind is what it says. At this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. They were confused. They didn't know what was going on because each one was hearing them, as in hearing the 120 disciples, speak in his own language. Back up. Remember, it said that they were speaking in other tongues, in different tongues. Um, now, there is some debate as to whether they were being given the ability to speak known languages that they did not know or whether they were speaking in an unknown language that was then interpreted to believers by the Holy Spirit. I would tend to take the latter. But the point that we need to focus on is that God wants to meet you where you're at. There are those in this room that are bilingual. How many of you in this room are bi bilingual, right? So this is what I've been told. I've been told the language you dream in is the language that is home for you. So it just depends on where you were raised and how you were raised and so forth, but probably the language you dream in is the language that is home for you. And so the Holy Spirit wants to reach you where you're at. See, the reality was all of these Jews who were in this, uh, in this community in Jerusalem would have been able to speak Aramaic, right? All of these Jews that were there, or many of them, perhaps most of them, would have been able to speak Greek. So God could have simply chosen to speak through these disciples in Aramaic or in Greek, but he chose to give them the ability, whether directly or in translation, to speak to the language of the people, the lingua franca. That's why you, and bless you, whatever translation of the Bible you read, I'm, I'm thankful that you read the Bible but you need to read a translation that you can understand. Amen? Now, some of us have been raised, you know, on a, in a certain translation of scripture, and it's very understandable to us. 
But I want you to know that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in a language you understand. So if your home language is something other than English, you should be reading a Bible in your home language. That doesn't mean don't read in English. It just means you, first of all, need to allow the Spirit to speak to you where you're at. Amen? The Holy Spirit makes God real to you. He makes God relevant to you. He speaks to you directly in your circumstance. That's what we should get out of this idea that they were each receiving this in their own home language. Further, what that means is that we need to be like the Apostle Paul, who said, I have become all things to all men that by all means I may save some. He said to those under the law, I'm like somebody under the law. He said to those without law, I'm like someone without the law, yet I am not without law, I am under the law of Christ. So if I'm gonna reach somebody with the gospel, I can't expect them to step into church and do things my way, amen? I need to find a way to reach them where they're at. Now that doesn't mean that I'm gonna get involved, mired in some immorality or put myself in a compromising situation, but I'm gonna have to go where people are and I'm gonna have to speak on their level. I'm gonna have to communicate. I was a youth minister for many, many years, right? And uh, I probably went too far in this direction because I used to not dress my age. Let's just put it that way, all right? I, I dressed a whole lot like a teenager and I probably looked like a 30-year-old weirdo. But in any event, it worked. I, you know, I, it's just, it's funny to me. Maybe teenagers today, you guys are just a whole lot more, I don't know, substantial. But I can remember back in the day, there would be a certain brand of shirt, let's say, that was popular. Let's go way back before most of y'all. Um, I used to be the king of guests back in the 80s. I had guest jeans. I had guest jackets, right? I had guest shirts. That label was like, whoa, you're awesome. You're cool. I'd walk around him. I had, I would wear, no joke, I, th this may sound weird, but I would wear a flat top haircut, all right? I bleached my hair. It was a long flat top, about that high, right? And it was perfect. I had a, I had a, a lady that cut my hair that did this so well, it was unbelievable. So. I was uh, responsible as the program director of a group home, and I was like the ultra cool dresser. That was my thing back in the day. But that was my way of reaching teenagers, of, of you know, getting around them and being on, the, and, and so there were all these compliments, right? That say, oh wow, you know, that's really cool. It's really, really cool shirt. I really like those jeans, you know, and whatever. And then I can remember, this is, uh, this is uh, I'm looking over here at, at Rachel. This is, this is your era when I used to wear Doc Martens. Now they've come back around and they're like popular again because like there's this cool girl that's sitting over here that she wears Doc Martens, right? Oh, you wear Doc Martens, but see, you're old. Um, <laughs> I, th I think it never went out. But I can remember substitute teaching and I would wear my docs subbing and suddenly I'd walk into a classroom and they were like, oh, this is a cool sub. Why? Because I wore boots that they thought was cool, all right? All I'm trying to say is you don't need to be ridiculous. I may have gone too far back in those days, but you've got to get down on the level of the person that you're seeking to communicate with, right? So children, I'm, I don't talk down to children, right? I'm gonna speak to them in a way that I hope will kind of pull them up and make them want to learn more. And I ask them questions. Do you understand the word that I just said and so forth? But I'm not going to speak to a child the same way I'm going to speak to somebody who, let's say, is in college, right? If I'm teaching a group of kids, 
it's not going to be the same as if I'm teaching a group of uh, older teenagers, right? It's just going to be, you're going to speak differently. You're going to relate differently. We need to understand that that's the business of the Holy Spirit all the time. Because he's going to constantly be speaking to you and interpreting the word of God to you so that you can understand it. Every time you come to church, every time you read the scripture, you should be asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And when people come to church and they say, oh, pastor, man, that message was right on. I just praise the Lord. Because I've also had plenty of people that were just like, I don't get it. Right. But if you're paying attention to the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you. You're here for a reason. And I believe that the Spirit is speaking to you. How is it we hear each in his own native language? This is verse eight. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But there are always skeptics, aren't there? Verse 13, but others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. They're drunk. That's one of the things that leads me to believe that this was an unknown language, a different language that was being spoken, that was nonsense to those who did not believe, who did not have the Holy Spirit interpreting it to them. Now, Peter gets up and he speaks the, the truth to them. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. That means nine in the morning. Who gets drunk at nine in the morning? Give me a break. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he quotes from Joel chapter 2. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So you see, this was the difference. The Holy Spirit didn't come for the first time at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came on anyone and everyone. Came on men, came on women came on those of low social standing. Back then, I'm sorry, they had slaves. The Holy Spirit didn't care. Jesus didn't care. He fell on them. They were all treated alike. That's what the Apostle Paul uh, said. In Christ, there is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither, uh, neither Greek nor Roman nor Scythian. He says, all are one in Christ. We need to understand that. It's all of these divisions that we, we make, right, in our, in our world today. When you come to Christ, it's just you, a person created in the image of God, loved by God. Amen? And there's not a difference there. That doesn't mean we don't have a difference in giftings and backgrounds and all kinds of stuff like that, right? But that's the reality of the situation. Everybody was qualified if they had come to Jesus. You see, that is the qualifying fact. You have to have that faith in Jesus Christ as the crucified, resurrected son of the living God. That's what caused them to receive this. And then uh, Joel, uh, Peter continues to quote this prophecy from Joel, and it jumps ahead to the future. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. What is the day of the Lord? That's judgment day. And it's coming. 
Everybody thinks they can do whatever they want to do. Think whatever they want to think. Oh, that's your truth. That's your morality. That's it. No, there's, there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus Christ is going to return to earth and he's going to judge. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day of God's favor. Get in on it because judgment day is coming. I'm not your judge. I'm not even on the jury. I'm not interested in doing that. But I am remiss if I don't tell you that the judge is standing at the door. You can't do whatever you want to do. Think whatever you want to think, feel whatever you want to feel, and get away with it in the end. The scripture says it is appointed for everyone once to die and then comes judgment. You don't get a second chance after death. You're not coming back. You're not coming back as another creature. You're not coming back and get, you don't get a second chance on the other side. You get the chance that you have today. And I don't know, I pray every one of you lives another 50 years or, or longer, all right? I'm talking from my perspective here. Those of you that are really young, I hope you live longer than that. But anyway, if I live 50 years, I'm gonna be really old. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Listen to these people, these encouragers. It's like the Barnabas corner over here. <laughs> Men of Israel, hear these words. This is verse 22. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Notice. God did plan to send Jesus to the cross for our sins, but that does not absolve those who crucified him of their sin. God knows what he's doing, and he works through what we call circumstances or coincidences with his providence. But let's take, for example, Judas, who betrayed Jesus. Jesus said it would be better for someone in Judas' position if they had never been born. It would be better for someone in Judas' position if they had a millstone tied around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Judas betrayed Jesus, and that's evil. But God knew it, and God used it. God will use everything you do, the good and the bad. That's the nature of providence. So just to say I'm being used by God, that doesn't necessarily say anything. You need to be following God's call. So here we have this example. He accuses them. He says, listen, you're, you're flat out guilty. You people that I'm talking to right now, he said, you said crucify, crucify. You're responsible. Um, verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and this is from Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades at the realm of the dead, the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make, you'll make full gladness with your presence. Make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would not set one of his that he would set one of his descendants on his throne he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades nor his flesh see, did his flesh see corruption Jesus wasn't dead long enough for his flesh to be corrupted verse 32 this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what Peter is saying is, this is the fulfillment of what John the Baptist said. One is coming after me who is mightier than I and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and because of his sacrifice, his propitiation, his offering of atonement on the greater altar in heaven, he was able to pour out the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the what Spirit? The Holy Spirit does not dwell with unholy people. You say, wait a minute, I'm, you know, pretty honest, I'm kind of unholy. Not in Christ, you're not. You need to understand how this works. When you're in Christ, you're robed with the righteousness of Jesus. Amen? Amen? He separates you from the world. And this is why if you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus, you are never going to be happy being worldly. You are going to perpetually be unhappy. And you can't figure out why. Well, I'm trying to live right and do the right things, and you're always unhappy. Because you're living for yourself. You need to robe yourself, clothe yourself in the righteousness of Christ by faith and then receive this indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and let him overflow you, let him fill you up, let him give you that holy life that God wants from each and every one of us that we will never live on our own and by ourselves, right? Verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's Psalm 110.1. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Wow. Wow. May I say this? Peter is saying that to you. The Jews didn't crucify Jesus. The Romans didn't crucify Jesus. You did. I did. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? I need to take that responsibility on myself and say, you know what? It's my sin that put Jesus on the cross. Jesus became me. I need to own my sin and that's what people don't do today. People won't even apologize today. Nobody wants to be willing to say I was wrong. Well, unless they get caught and you know something bad is gonna happen to them and they're just saying it so they can get out of trouble. But I mean, just, just straight up honestly saying, no, I was wrong. That, that, those three words you just really almost never hear today. I was wrong. But that's what I've got to say to God if I'm ever going to be saved. I was wrong. And I want to be right. I believe you died for my wrong so that I can have your righteousness. The scripture says, he who knew no sin. Who's that? Jesus. Became our sin. Who's that? that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Who's that? Yeah, that's us too. We become the righteousness of God in Christ. That's how we become holy. But only when we clothe ourselves in Christ by faith, when we choose to do that. Verse 37, 
Now, I don't know what your response to this is. Your response could be, well, I've, I've heard all this before. Your response could be, well, that's for somebody else. Your response could be, well, that's just religion. Or your response could be, you know what? I got to take that on myself. I got to be willing to confess. Listen to what their response was. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Is that a question for you? What do I do? Listen to what Peter said. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins or for the remission of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, what he was saying is, what you need to do is you need to repent. And the sign of your repentance is going to be baptism. For them, that represented a ceremonial washing, a cleansing. And so Christian faith took that over and said, now we're going to make that a symbol of the burial and resurrection of Jesus. Your sins are washed away by the blood of Jesus, not by the water of baptism. Amen. But the water of baptism represents what Christ has done for you. If you've ever watched us baptize in here, we, we put, bring this stock tank up here. We put it right here. And we put that person all the way under the water and I say, buried with Christ in baptism. We lift them all the way up out of the water and I say, raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. That comes from Romans chapter six. You see, it's Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. His blood shed on the cross that gives you cleansing, washing, remission of your sins. But I got news for you. This requires repentance. Notice uh, Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, what's the first word he said? What's the first word he said? Repent. Repent. Do you know what the first message of John the Baptist was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Do you know what the first message of Jesus Christ was? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. The first message of the prime apostle of Jesus to the people in the first gospel message was what? Mentanoia in Greek. It means to change your mind, to have a change of heart that results in a change of life. It means I'm walking one direction and I turn 180 degrees and start walking the other direction. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. If I don't have faith, I won't stay repented. If I don't repent, I don't really have faith. And if I've turned and repented and have faith, then I'm going to be obedient. And the first step of obedience is baptism. I'm not going to get you to raise your hand. This is a question for you to answer right here and right here. Have you been baptized? Since you called on the name of Jesus to save you. Because that's not an option. You don't hear me saying that baptism itself saves you. Water itself saves you. But I'm telling you, if you have faith, you're going to obey Christ. And you're going to say, man, I don't know about that, though. That's like weird. You know, y'all don't even have a baptistry here and stuff. Well, then go to a church that does. Or come and say that you want to be baptized and, and I'll get an appointment over at Freeman Heights. They always let us use their baptistry. And it's nifty and cool and a church and it's heated and all that other kind of stuff. Right. But you want to do what Jesus calls you to do. Have you ever seen the Jordan River? Anybody ever been to Israel? Right? It's kind of nasty and muddy, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's rough. And that's what they baptize people in, the Jordan River. You know, I mean, I could just picture it today. People would be like, oh, I ain't getting in there. There might be microbes in there that get inside me and kill me, and I ain't getting in that water. 
But that's where they baptize in that muddy Jordan River. I have baptized people in swimming pools. I have baptized people in jacuzzis. I have baptized people in a dunking booth. I did. I did. We had a fellow that went here for many years, bless his heart. He passed away in 2006, early 2007, and uh, he owned a, a rental place. And uh, he brought a dunking booth up there, and we just took the dunking part off of it. And so I stood in water, like up to here, and baptized people in the dunking booth. It doesn't matter. I've baptized people in the ocean. That was cool. It doesn't matter. What matters is your obedience, amen? And that other people follow. So here's the reality. If you want this overflowing, overpowering relationship with the Holy Spirit, then you've got to be willing to repent and be obedient. Now, there are times in Acts, and I'm flirting with the, the, the possibility of going through Acts, not verse by verse, but certainly section by section and covering the major uh, incidents in, uh, in Acts. But there are times in Acts when people received the Holy Spirit before they were baptized. But see, the intent was there. So for there, an example of this, Cornelius, the first Gentile to receive the gospel, uh, he was a, a Roman uh, centurion. He was a captain. And he was uh, what they call a proselyte. That means that he was uh, Jewish by, uh, by uh, profession, right? He hadn't, he hadn't grown up as a, as a Jew. And he uh, had been willing to give to have a synagogue built for these people and so forth. And an angel appeared to him and said, I want you to get this guy, Peter, to come and, appear, uh, come and talk to you. Notice the angel didn't preach the gospel to him. Peter came, preached the gospel in the middle of Peter's sermon. See, that, these people waited till the end of the sermon. In the middle of Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit fell on Cornelius and all of those in his house. In the middle of it. And they were shocked. Peter and all of his companions were shocked. They thought this was a Jewish thing. And now here's this Gentile Roman centurion and we, we can't withhold baptism from him. He just received the same Holy Spirit baptism that we have. So you see, it's not always that way. But see, God reads the intention of your heart. Did you really repent? Yeah. See, there's a possibility that you could be baptized in water, but you didn't really repent. And you still haven't received the Holy Spirit. In order to receive this control of the Spirit, you've got to have had a change of heart and a change of mind. And that will result in baptism, right? So... Um, in the end, I'm not going to read the, the rest of, uh, of the chapter here, but I'm just going to conclude these last couple of verses up to verse 41. Verse 39, for the promise, that's the Holy Spirit, is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That means the promise is for you. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Friends, that's a message for you right now. Save yourself from this corrupt generation that we are in the midst of because it's headed for hell. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the extent of my message today. It's coming from that chapter. Now you're in one of several positions today. You have already repented and put your faith in Jesus. And you want the filling of the Spirit, which, by the way, doesn't just happen once. In fact, the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's verse 18, he said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, the tense there means be constantly filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled with the Spirit every day. Yeah. 
Now, there are churches where uh, the baptism of the Spirit is like a one-time big deal thing and not so much after that. But what you and I need to understand is that the Holy Spirit wants to fill you every day. And, you know, it's required if we're going to live the Christian life that we constantly set our minds on the Spirit. Now, I sent out a playlist or a, a project or whatever you want to call it. We used to call them albums. Um, I sent it out to a bunch of people on our uh, text list and I put it on my, my Facebook um, but it is a, uh, it's a playlist by Maverick City Music or Worship Team and Elevation Worship. And it's called Old Church Basement. So that's been on constant play on my phone for about two weeks now. I'm not kidding you. I'm in the middle of the gym. You ever go to a gym and see all the self-centered people in there going, yeah, you know, and I can hear people and see people strutting around. I'm in the middle of the gym in tears. People think I'm a weirdo. I know they do. <laughs> I am having revival in the middle of the gym because the Holy Spirit is filling me because that testimony coming from that music is witnessing. I don't want to hear what all these people have to say. I don't want to hear some talk show. I don't want to hear some, some music from this band or that band or that project or artist or whatever. No, man, I want to hear from Jesus. You need to be open to what the Holy Spirit has to say to you. You need to be open to his overflowing, overpowering presence. But that's going to be nonsense to you if you have not called on the name of Jesus to save you. And all you got to do is do what the scripture says. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. All you got to do is say, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I invite you into my life. Save me. Forgive me. Set me free of my sin. And he'll hear you. He'll respond to your faith. And then allow the Spirit to fill you. Amen? Not just this morning. I pray you are filled this morning. But continuously filled. Filled at school. Filled at work. Filled in the gym. Filled while you're in your bedroom. Filled while you're making choices about your entertainment. Filled with the Spirit. Controlled by the Spirit. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach to these people today. And I pray that uh, Holy Spirit, as I said at the beginning of the message, I pray that you will fall on this group. I pray that people's hearts will be and have been moved and uh, that we will be different when we walk out of here in Jesus' name.